Hello, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, February 13th, 2015. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere using open web standards like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, REST, and JSON. This week, we talk about our sticky backend. <laughs> Specifically, organizing, monitoring, upgrading, and backupping our resources on Amazon Web Services. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Hello. Hello. You sound so rested. I am. Refreshed and relaxed. Yes, I am very relaxed. <laughs> this is a very good trip. How was vacay? Uh, it was excellent. Uh, getting home was... I, I had a delay and missed my connecting flight and had to take a slightly later one and sit in the airport for a few hours. But when I when I got back to Lexington, Kentucky, my suitcase was sitting right there waiting for me. Um, <laughs> the uh, U.S. Airways agent guy had set it aside for me that was nice yeah i was i was very pleased and their um their customer service all throughout was was very good mm -mm. that's good to know because i am taking u.s airways flight next month ah yeah i normally don't fly with them but i did for this one and um you know because of my eyesight i get help with transfers at airports and stuff like that mm -hmm. going from terminal a to terminal e and 10 minutes or less, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to do when you can't see to read signs. Right. Um, so, yeah, they were they were just excellent. Everybody was, was great and super friendly. Wow, that's cool. Yep. Well, I haven't flown them in a long time either, so I'm glad to hear that. I guess they're part of American Airlines now. I didn't know that. Oh, is that the one? American? I thought it was Delta and American. No, I can't even keep track. Can't keep track. You're probably right. Wow. Let's see what we have here today, folks. Oh, I'm hoping the mic didn't pick up the very loud sound of Richard blowing his nose in the background. I did not, unfortunately. Okay, good. <laughs> like I'll, a foghorn. I will definitely pull that out if I can <laughs> to post online. <clears throat> yes. Um, shall we jump right into housekeeping? Uh, yes, let's, because we don't have a lot of time. Yes. Uh a few quick, I'll try to keep it quick because we have a few housekeeping things. Um, first, I was interviewed on the, I don't think we talked about this last week. I was on the Boag World podcast, which is like, for me, that's like being on Jon Stewart or something. It's like, <laughs> it's like bucket list level item. Uh, yeah. And that podcast is live and it's uh, obviously boagworld.com and just click on the show link. And there is, it's weird because um, it was ostensibly about developing mobile first and all of the things that similar things to what we talk about here. Um, but we also kind of went off on a long tangent about value pricing because Paul was really interested in that and has subsequently gone solo from, uh, from Headscape. And so it explains why he was interested in a new pricing model. Yeah. I think I've listened to that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really I, good. I might've, I might've talked about it already, but I just, I just love the fact that they had me on the show. So there you go. I'm repeating myself. Yes. Well, congratulations on, on achieving a bucket list item. Thank you. Next up, um, the, have you ever heard of the freelancer show? It's another podcast. I so I did an interview with them a couple of maybe six weeks ago, um, about also about value pricing. And then, uh, they had me but back that's the one I'm thinking of perhaps. Um, then they had me back last week to record an episode on, um, 
attracting customers without doing sales. And mm-hmm. they, uh, after that one, they asked me if I wanted to be a panelist. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I said yes. So on Tuesdays, uh, I will be sitting, I'll be lurking in the background of the freelancer show recording, coming up with questions for people. So I'm going to check that out. If you haven't heard the freelancer show, it's it's good show. It's for developers. It's about it's mostly about business topics for developers instead of like developer topics. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Be I'm supposed to be there most weeks, uh, but mm-hmm. looking forward to that. Um, get you into your office, big time. Yes, which I'm not. But as you can hear for the moment, it's quiet because we timed it well. The vacuum, the the monster vac just finished. And uh, Maggie's sleeping, so. Nice. Moving right along. Short Hook, we've mentioned a few times on the show. Um, I am accepting reservations for Short Hook. Did we, we have talked about it, yeah? We have. Okay, so uh, so long story short, there's like uh, there's another service that inspired Short Hook that does a lot of other things, but it was it's just too buggy and gross, and it looks like they're shutting down. So I was like, all right, forget it. I got to do this, so. Um, if we can get a hundred people to a uh, hundred people who are interested on the mailing list, I'm going to set up a strike page and just say, okay, let's go for it. So we've got uh, like 12 people so far. It's been a couple days, but if you go to shorthook.com, you can find out more about what the heck we're talking about. If you haven't seen it. Cool. Yeah. You can definitely put me on that list. Sweet. All right. I've already got, I've already, already reserving keywords. So get yours in early. Um, so yeah, check out shorthook.com and, uh, there's just an email link there. You can just email me and tell me what keyword you're interested in. Okay. Also this week, folks, if anybody's in the Providence area, I'm going to be speaking at the Providence JS meetup on Wednesday, February 18th. I don't know what I'm going to be talking about yet. (laughs) That'd be fun. Yeah. I, I presumably it'll be mobile, uh, development type stuff. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. I was hoping. I was hoping to to get to see you while I was up there, but you know the, the snow. <laughs> mm, tons of snow. Yeah, we got we got pummeled like three times. Yeah, yeah. The T was closed Tuesday, so we're like, well, we're not going anywhere. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so I think that's it for housekeeping. There's. I also have a. I opened up a training class on March 26, but that's still a little, little ways away. Um, but we should probably jump into the bug report. Yes. I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna have an excellent bug report next week because I'm working on a doozy right now. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, this is not. This is not an excellent one, but um, no, this one is yours. Yes. <laughs> not that your bugs can't be excellent. <laughs> <laughs> this. Is, I think this will be a good one because I'm sure tons of people uh, listening use jQuery, yes. and this was something about jQuery that I was not aware of, uh, and it's kind of a basic thing too. So uh, heads up. But we have this arrangement. Um, we have probably allude to this in the feature today when we talk about um, our infrastructure for Sticky. But we have this this we have one server that Kelly kind of owns, and uh, we have this other server that I kind of own. And on Kelly's server, there's a page hosted that has an iframe that points to a page on my server. So um, we have to do all sorts of different things to communicate back and forth using post message so that when someone's changing values on Kelly's side, it's updating things on, on my side and without having to refresh the iframe. So we're passing messages back and forth and they're on two different domains, which would be an interesting topic to discuss in and of itself at some point. That is a great idea. That would be fun to talk about. 
because um, it's it's like fraught with surprises. <laughs> yes. So, but it's very powerful, and at the end of the day, it's kind of simple. So, uh, I dig it, uh, and it illustrates a, a programming concept that I think is important for people to have have down the message passing concept. Uh, but anyway, one of the messages we're passing across is um, a the ID of a DOM element. So on Kelly's side, it sends it it takes this value, string value, passes it into the iframe, and then on my side, I've got a JavaScript handler that accepts that, and then uh, sort of messes around with the DOM so that the past ID displays the the past string displays the DOM element that has that ID. Um, and we were getting like, uh, we were getting this situation where it wasn't finding the, the ID. So like she'd pass the ID, you know, and I would get it on my side and, and, the the, and my page would be like, nope, that doesn't exist. That ID doesn't exist or that element doesn't exist. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, this totally works it's for right me. There. <laughs> yeah. It's right there. Like the bug, you know, the bug was reported. I'm testing it. It works. It works. It works. I can't reproduce the error. Then I look a little closer and I discover that in the, the, the tester had a space in the string, which is perfectly acceptable. It's mm-hmm. normal because that's the string that's going to be used as the visible label in the navigation. So it's okay to have spaces. But then on my side, I convert those labels into um, fragment identifiers. So like hashtag URL string. Encoding. Yeah, so I URL encode them, which adds the plus symbol. So what happens is when, when Kelly, you were passing that string to me and I was URL encoding it, it would add a plus to it. And in fact, the IDs in the DOM had pluses in them too. But here's the little known thing. jQuery uses the plus symbol as a meta character. Uh, I, I don't know for what. I suppose it's probably maps to the uh, CSS selector, adjacency selector. But... Um, it doesn't. You can't use that. You can't use that in as for a, a jQuery selector. So, um, geez, now I can't remember how I fixed it, but you could just like change the plus to an underscore. Or something. Yeah, something like that. Uh, I can't remember what I did, but there's but the the and so I read. You know, I'm reading. I found out about it, of course, on Stack Overflow, and the discussion there was like, oh well, IDs with a plus are invalid IDs anyway, which is why probably why jQuery felt it was okay to use it as a meta character but, but they're uh, not th- yeah i think that was an html4 thing and an html5 pluses are allowed yeah yeah that's something you wouldn't normally think about because most people would never do it but when you're auto generating a lot of your dom stuff like that can happen like mm. if you were, if you were just writing the dom you wouldn't put a plus <laughs> put, put a plus in your selector yeah that would your, be weird in your id <laughs> but when you're auto generating the DOM based on, particularly based partially on user input, yeah, a lot of crazy stuff like that can happen. Mm-hmm. And I didn't test it, but I should have uh, what Query Selector All does with that or what uh, what Get Element by ID does. Yeah, oh. that'd be interesting. To yeah, know. yeah. Um, all right, so that was the, it, that was just a little, a little gotcha type bug, no big deal. Uh, or NBD, as the kids are saying these days. <laughs> <laughs> Not my kid, but... No. No, no. My um, Kira texted me a couple of times while I was uh, in Maine, hmm. and she used complete sentences the entire time. Weird. With proper grammar. Weird. While texting. From a phone? Like, she even te- yeah, from a phone. And she, she even texted 
she even texted me back okay once and it wasn't just the letters okay it was okay a y period <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm doing something right at least she's carving out an identity over text message yeah yeah and it, i'm the full string texter right <laughs> at least i'm i feel like as a parent i'm at least doing one thing right yeah well maybe she has like like a massive library of text expander stuff on her phone oh that could be <laughs> that would be hilarious it would be um, okay, so shall we move on to the feature? Uh, yes, let's, because it is uh, relevant and interesting, I think. I think so, too. All right, this week we are going to talk about, uh, I guess DevOps is the term here, sort of. No, yeah. not really. I mean, a little bit. Yeah, it's like, a little bit. Yeah, like sys, system, sys, sys sys admin. admin stuff. So uh, this week we're going to talk maybe, about... Maybe network engineering. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it's a little bit of everything. It's sort of the the back end part of uh, sticky albums, and what we're which which we have hosted on AWS exclusively, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So uh, yeah, so we can just talk through um, what we do, what we're doing back there uh, for people who uh, something like DigitalOcean or a simple Linode instance or whatever they call them over there. Uh, if that's if you're starting to outgrow that and you need to break your application into, you know, I don't know, it could be anything like uh, break it into different chunks so that you could back them up on different schedules. Like maybe you have a, a quadrillion images and you don't want them all on the web server because then you can't back up the web server, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So do you want to start with um, organizing? Uh, yes, let's start with organizing because I've, I've, I found some some interesting discoveries when looking at organization. Well, namely that um, I'm naming things after what they do didn't really work. Mm. Because okay, so let's give people a, a scale idea. So, like, how yes. many how many EC2 instances do we have? Uh, I believe we have eleven at this point. Okay, and so so just in case people don't know what that means, that EC2 uh, is what does it stand for? Elastic Compute Cloud. Yes, and it is. You can think of it like a server. So we're we're using, I think, all of them like basically like one kind of web server or another. Yeah, yeah, your your virtual private server, basically. Yeah, and they we have I, I, what is it three? We have three production servers or two or three? No, we have like five production servers. Wow. Oh right, right. Duh. I'm thinking of just one application. So, we've got uh, we've got production servers. We've got a set of production servers. We've got a set of staging servers. And do we have anything? We want if we have eleven, there must be another one. We have a maintenance server that we keep powered off most of the time, unless we need to bring it up to show a maintenance page or something. Yep. So what started to get confusing was that we had, you know, we've got like, you know production album server for this app and production builder server for this app. It, it like got unwieldy to talk about. Mm-hmm. You had to, it, we would just confuse ourselves constantly. So Kelly came up with a bright idea to, <laughs> to, I haven't gone in there in a long time. So, so uh, at least at, at that list, but uh, would it remind me what it is? The production servers are games and the yeah, production servers are board games and staging servers are Looney Tunes characters. <laughs> Which instantaneously lets you know, because you know, because what happens is you're if you're SSHing around and you go into the wrong one, you know you wanna you don't you don't want them to be very similarly named. You want it to be very prominently different. Right. It's like, oh, I'm I'm am I on Tweety Bird or am I on Monopoly? You know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So that's been a big help, actually. It actually has. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do have a little cheat sheet that I keep uh, in in my 
in my um, notebook that says, you know, Tweety is for this application. It does this and, and th that sort of thing. Just a, a more, and there's a, we actually have a Google doc that I've shared with the group that has that on it. Mm, cool. And I suppose it's worth pointing out, it's probably obvious, but it's worth pointing out that um, on AWS, that you are charged by, um, by how beefy the server is and how long it's running. So it's kind of like yes. a, a by minute, by CPU sort of thing. Yes. So we've got different, um, so they're all virtually all configured differently. And, um, you know, so, so you've got the combination of staging and production. The staging servers are not as robust. And there are different parts of the application have different kinds of uh, software on them. So, like, my mm -hmm. servers are uh, basically straight up Ubuntu LAMP stacks. And your, yours are also Ubuntu, right? But they're not really LAMP stacks. No, they're, um, they're Rails stacks. Mm. And then they have some additional, some additional things like Sidekick and... Redis and just just various yeah our our full Rails application stack. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so and just to give people the we're also using uh, S three ex uh, extensively. Yes. And RDS extensively. RDS for all of our databases. Yes. Yeah. And um, uh, a couple of our uh, EC two um, instances have multiple EBS volumes. Yeah, that that was probably the most confusing thing for me when I was getting started with AWS. Right. Was the the in in the way that I describe it to myself and others, which is you know, it's not literally correct, but I think gives you the concept is that in like a, by default, correct me if I'm wrong, but by default if you spin up an EC2 instance, it has like an a really small hard drive associated with it for persistence, persistent storage. Yes. And it's like, I want to say it's eight gig or eight, it is. eight meg. It's eight gig. And no, it's eight gig. Okay. Unless they've changed it. They've made some slight changes recently when they switched everything over to solid, solid state drives and that sort of thing. And it's, it's been a little while since I've spun up a new instance. So there may, some of this stuff may have changed in mm. minor ways. Right. So if you're not paying attention to that, you might think, oh, I'll just spin up this EC2 instance, then I'll like throw this application on it. And it'll be just like when I used to have that like a GoDaddy VPS. Right, right. And you can make that eight gig drive bigger. Right. But so here's the thing, like the way that people use AWS, it's not uncommon for people to programmatically spin up, as it's called, uh, a bunch of instances to crunch some numbers or do a job or convert images or whatever, and then just throw them away. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make sense to have like a huge ass hard drive on, you know what I mean? Like on a, on yeah. a machine like that, it makes, it makes sense to have just enough for whatever it is you need to do. Right. So they don't make the assumption that everybody needs a big hard drive. So what you do is if you do need like um, a lot of persistent storage attached to one of these, they have what's called the elastic block store EBS. And I talk about them like they're external hard drives. That's so what, that's what they feel like. Yeah. So if you imagine you've got like a real lightweight computer, that's got a small SSD, like a MacBook air, and you've got this honking like three terabyte external hard drive that you can just plug into it when you need to, but you don't want it always there necessarily. And so that's, that is uh, another thing that we are using uh, for one of the older applications because it, it originally in its inception, it was, 
it was an old school just rented server that had a huge hard drive. Yeah, yeah, we have something like three terabytes of data on it. Yeah, but it's spread out across um, I think four different EBS volumes. Hmm. And the the important note thing to note about EBS, um, which I kind of caught a few months ago, and when I was going through and cleaning up some some of our infrastructure. Uh, a lot of a lot of things with AWS, you're charged by usage. Um, like if you don't have an EC2 instance running, you're not going to get billed for it. Like you could have it provisioned and stopped, and mm-hmm. you won't be billed for it. EBS volumes are you're billed as soon as they're provisioned. So even if they're attached, even if they're not attached to anything, or they're attached to an instance that's not running, you're still paying for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you can you can accidentally spend a lot of money there. Right. Right. Uh, so, I mean, honestly, that I don't want to give people the impression that using EBS volumes is a good idea. We we use them because of a legacy architecture of an application that needed to be moved to AWS. And in fact, when we did the version two of that same application written from scratch, we used S3 Everything's for going all on that. S3. Yeah. yeah, which is vastly cheaper. Yeah, like there's a like I'm going to say it's like five percent the cost. The EBS volumes are very expensive. They are. They are expensive. So, um, okay. So I think that touches on all the different pieces that we have rocking and rolling AWS-wise. I mean, we're also using Route 53 for DNS and stuff like that, but um, I don't know if that's as big a deal. Um, But we are, I guess one other thing that we're doing is we're using monitoring to keep an eye on the CPUs um, because we do yeah. we do a fair amount of image processing, which can cause spikes in the CPU. So we have alarms set up uh, using AWS CloudWatch that sends out like uh, it emits a notification to the sticky channel, mm-hmm. and that uh, you know alerts a bunch of us uh, to take a look at it. And so what we did was we had we had that turned on for a while, and we were getting you know. Uh, spiky behavior so we knew that oh okay we need you can see when when things are happening what's happening and then you can decide okay let's spend a little more money and upgrade that server from you know uh, b grade to an a grade right or i could go in and look at log files as things were happening and find out uh, look at log files and and server resources as things were happening and find out where the bottlenecks were Hmm. Yeah, you'd get a text message and be like, yeah, you'd yeah. be like, oh, this server is chugging." Yeah, and and I could just go watch it and figure out what's what was going on with it. Yep. And I we we identified uh, doing that. We were able to identify uh, some bottlenecks in our database. Um, uh, number of number of allowed database connections. Uh, we had to up that. Right. And, that was um, wow, that was wild. Uh, some some general sidekick uh, queuing. Uh, queuing things, uh, particularly related to migrating users over from the old system to the new one. Yeah, so. absolutely. So um, do we want to talk about Sidekick, actually? Or do we, we've covered that before, I think. I think we've probably covered it before. Um, I don't I don't know what I would have a whole lot to say about it right now, other than the fact that we're using it. <laughs> yeah, just for job queuing. Like, if we have long-running running tasks, just throw them yeah, in a queue and, and so we the throw user all doesn't have to wait. Like, we, we send a, a ton of updates to MailChimp to keep keep some of our data in sync with some fields in MailChimp and we spend a, a ton of those so we just we throw them all into Sidekick mm-hmm. so people aren't having to wait around for them to happen. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, cool. All right. Well, we actually just just sort of segued nicely into upgrading. Um, once, yeah. once you start to see that you're having consistent uh, 
you know, 100% CPU usage for an extended period of time, you know, you need mm. to upgrade your server. I don't know how much there is to say about this, except for it's wicked easy. <laughs> it is. It is wicked easy. Amazon has made it very easy to, to spend money. <laughs> um, actually, Amazon is really good at that. Yep. Yeah, they're, 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 um, their sales funnel is very, very slippery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, we haven't we haven't gotten to the point yet where we need to do a lot of horizontal scaling. But I guess that's I guess that's probably going to be our next step because some of our servers are about as big as they can realistically get. Mm-hmm. Right, in terms of compute power. Yeah. Um, so right, so if we started to have performance issues, then we probably have to use a load balancer in front of a couple of different application servers or web servers that running the same application. Right, which can get a little tricky with with the SSL certificates and, and things like that. But, mm-hmm. but hey, and multi multi availability zone databases and that sort of thing. Yeah, we haven't had to mess with the databases too much, have we? No, we haven't. We just um we we made them bigger at one point so we could increase the connection pool. Mm-hmm. But um, I think uh, you would know better than me. But I think most of our um, most of our bottlenecks are from batch actions that involve image conversion uh yeah the bottlenecks that we were having before and again it was the same cause it was just uh yeah batch actions that were causing a bunch of image conversion because we have uh, as as the as time goes on and people are are using the new the new builder more it's becoming less of an issue actually but initially when people migrate over they can have just tons of images that they need to reprocess um and and so yeah we were we were hitting some bottlenecks there and we just we set that up through um through some queuing and sidekick to sort of sort of rate limit how fast and how quickly we were doing that processing and how much we were doing at a time Mm -hmm. and then um upping the database to increase the the connection pool size so that we can update all of this data in the database as, as images are getting reprocessed. Mm. That was an interesting exercise that it, it was, it was, it reminds me of, it was one of those things where you like, you don't want too much is bad and not enough is bad. Yeah. You wanted to be like, you needed to find this sweet spot in the middle. Yeah. Which is always uncomfortable. You, you, it's like, you want to just be able to like say, Oh, can I just spike the needle here and <laughs> forget about <laughs> right. this? But if I remember correctly, the the prices just go off the charts. If you yeah, they do. They yeah. do. So you don't want it to be too big because you'd just be paying a fortune and just not utilizing the resource. Yeah, but fortunately, basic math to the rescue. <laughs> if you <laughs> yeah, if you've got the monitor, you take your, yeah, you take your number of you take your number of sidekick instances running and the max number of connections they can each handle at once, and and you divide that into your max connections in your database connection pool and, and there you go <laughs> Math. it's funny i'd never worked on an app large enough before where i had to worry about the the pool size of the database connections no, no i never heard of it before you before this happened that's if we and if we weren't using sidekick i don't think it would have happened right um well it might have not not anywhere near to the extent i may have had to adjust the value of the connection pool inside the rails application but i wouldn't have wouldn't have had to to update the upgrade the database to accommodate it, right? It wasn't the default like five. Yeah, the default was five. Mm-hmm. I, actually, I think in production the default might be twenty-five. Yeah, that was what it was set to anyway. So I, I had to up that. So fun things you learn when you start to work on a popular application. Yeah, it's fun. 
It is fun. Um, and speaking of which, when you have a popular application used by thousands of people, a good thing to do is have backups. Backup all the things. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what's our story there? We've got um, backups on the, uh, obviously on the database server. Yeah. Servers. Which, is, <clears throat> which the functionality for doing database server backups is built into RDS. You just kind of set the schedule that you want and mm -hmm. how long you want to keep those. Yep. And they do charge you for them, but um, but it's well worth it. Yeah, <laughs> so worth it. It's just it's like automatic. You're just mm -hmm. like, oh, backups are running, which is honestly is the way it should be. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, S3. I suppose there's no backup system for S3, really. No, there isn't. I've thought about that before. I, I don't think know that's, how. I think that's something they handle invisibly on their end. I, it has I guess to be. it is. Yeah. It has yeah. to be. There's no. It would be. It would be you would back it up to S3. Like, what would you do? Right, right exactly. So Take your S3 back up and, and, and put it on S3. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I guess the thing you, I guess I've thought about, the, it has occurred to me in the past and I've thought about it and there is this thing called Redshift, I think, mm -hmm. that is like like glacial backup. It's like oh, you, you mean, there's also Glacier. <laughs> oh, is there, did I, uh, am I? Redshift is, Redshift is not AWS, is it? Um... I could be remember. I'm probably remembering it wrong. I think you're thinking of Amazon Glacier, which is like their their long term, um, <laughs> cold storage basically. As I was saying, we could back up to Glacier. What the <laughs> hell is Red? Oh, Redshift is a database. It's a database, AWS database thing. Okay. <laughs> um. So yeah. So in, but the the thing with Glacier or their their archive storage in the cloud, as they call it, is that um, you when you want to put something in, it can take a while. And when you want to get something out, it can take a while. You can't use it for a real-time application. Right, uh, it's meant for long-term archiving. Right, but it's insanely cheap. It's like a tenth of the cost of S3. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, it would be wacky if we needed to go there. But it, it, is, yeah. a, um, uh, it is an option. Yeah. And then for all of our, all of our EBS volumes... Uh, we have, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about this because it's working well for us, but there is a, there's a single point of failure for our backups okay. that I don't like. We have, um, we're using Amazon's command line tools to like nightly run a backup of our EBS volumes mm -hmm. and in which it just kind of archives them and, and creates, creates backup images of those. And what you do is you tag the instant, the EBS volumes. You can go into the, the AWS management console or do it through the command line tools. And you can add, add like flags, tags, tagging basically, and tag the, the volumes. And then you have uh, a backup script that runs and says, okay, backup and create images of everything that has this tag. Mm -hmm. But I have, and I have that running on one of our EC2 instances mm -hmm. uh, every 24 hours. So the the point of failure there is that if that instance goes down, then the 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 backups stop happening. But it's also easy. Oh, I see what you're saying. The 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 cron job or whatever it is. Right. I but see. it would be easy to just throw that onto another instance too. That's true. And and the other thing is that all or virtually all of the code is also you know on our local machines and GitHub. Yeah. So it would be a drag because there would be stuff to configure, but you could take, we've got a trillion backups. We could just take an old one, put it up right. there and then <laughs> pull from GitHub to get the right. latest. And we've, and we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of, we've got images 
set up already for the this various development stacks that we're using right. um, for for when we need to to spin up new instances. Um, so really, the the only thing that that EBS volume backup is doing for us that's that is um, that we. Like the other stuff we could recover from, it would if we didn't have the backups, it would be kind of a pain. But we could easily do it because right. we've got all the code. But it's that that three terabytes of user data from the old application that I mentioned mm-hmm. is is getting backed up. Yeah. So so it depends. As, as, as people do less and less on it that on that old application, that becomes less of an issue too. Right. Because it doesn't matter if your backups like two days old. <laughs> right. And it's a question of what goes down. If the if if one of the hard drives failed, then we'd have to go to one of those backups. But if the if the the instance failed, we'd just stick those drives on another instance. Right, exactly. So it's it's really a question of how fast you could recover. So like being able to recover from a backup would be significantly faster than you know making a new one, attaching the volumes, and blah, 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 getting you know pulling from mm-hmm. GitHub or whatever. Um, cool. So is there? I think that's. I think that's everything we we're going to cover about the uh, the backend architecture, which I, I if people I, I'm nervous that people think, geez, that seems like a lot of stuff. It seems like a lot to learn. It seems kind of complicated. Um, you definitely don't need to do this for everything. But man, is it nice to have set up when you're starting do- to outgrow just your single server? Oh maybe. man, yeah, like the growing pains that we had before we moved to AWS were like intractable <clears throat> oh i know you and i were spending like entire weekends where we were just awake for 48 hours babysitting things yeah i mean it was like you have like one one server log go crazy go haywire mm-hmm. and like be logging some warning from php or something and the hard drive would fill up <laughs> and the whole thing would yeah. shut down and then you, you couldn't you couldn't get in there and it was you by the time you'd, you know, you get in there you clear the thing it wouldn't clear it was like it was yeah. that was really bad. I mean, yeah, it, it was. And I mean, you were at one time you said to me like you like this is like finals week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so having the stuff distributed is so much better. Yes. <laughs> you know, if you're pushing the limits of like a, a single box at all, it's like you're like, oh, maybe maybe I should make the start, leap. To start breaking it out. Yeah. And even if it's not AWS, like Azure, I guess is, is people. Yeah. If you're a Microsoft and, and Linode does some some offers load balanced VPSs and, and that sort of thing too. And yeah, even DigitalOcean is kind of going in this way. But things like like S, even if I was using DigitalOcean, I'd still use S3 for for any kind of image storage or like static yeah. file storage. Yeah, it's and just so fast. I, I pretty much always use use RDS for anything database. Mm. Um. If for no other reason than the fact that I don't have to worry, think about backups. Mm-hmm. Or set up. I mean, I've set up MySQL so many times. I just, I just, I can't stand it. I hate, it's like, I hate yeah. it. It's probably, there's probably some easy way to do it at the command line now that is it, but there didn't used to be. Yeah. Postgres is now on um, RDS. Mm. I've been tempted many times to switch us over to Postgres. Yeah. I mean, Postgres has some advantages. But I, I would I would need to be it's, convinced. It's, it's, we don't need those advantages enough to justify doing it right. Now, yeah, so. yeah. I, I feel like there was a big I'd, difference back in version, like around like when MySQL was around three. There was a mm-hmm. huge difference between the two. But um, 
you know, the speed stuff is comparable. I, I mean, Postgres is a better database. Yeah. If you're a database, if you care about, I don't know, storing data. <laughs> yeah. If I, if I were starting the app from scratch now, I'd probably use Postgres. Yeah. But for what we're doing, uh, MySQL works just fine. Mm, exactly. Well, all right, folks. I guess that's a good place to leave it. That's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.